I always wanted to make love with an alien. That's why I married Frasier. Welcome to Reengage, where we watch every episode of the sci-fi series Star Trek The Next Generation and re-engage with the show from the perspective of adult storytellers instead of the Gen X kids we were when it first aired. Today, we're talking about the 15th episode of Season 4, First Contact. I'm so excited to welcome my fellow cultural bridge officers, as well as two, count them, two special guests to discuss this episode that flips the script on Star Trek's point of view. Kate Yeager, how are you doing? I am so good, and I uh, I never watch the credits to see who the guest stars are going to be. I, I look away so that I can be genuinely surprised. And uh, when that particular guest star, when B.B. Newworth showed up, uh, the squeal that came from my mouth was uh, otherworldly. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Eric Curry, how are you? Where are you calling in from this fine day? Guten Tag von Deutschland. Yeah. <laughs> I am in Bremen, in the north of Germany. Uh, three days ago, we came over from Roubaix, crossed uh, uh, one of those other countries. What did we cross? We crossed Belgium. <laughs> and uh, now we're back in Germany, where the bulk of the tour happens. Um, I'm glad to be here. It's good to see you all and new guests. Yes. So uh, Jimmy G is not able to make it today, uh, but instead we've got two amazing folks, Matthew <laughs> Kroll and Jeffrey Zatkin from the Extra Credits team. Uh, and I'd love to welcome you to the podcast. Hey, thanks so much for having us. Awesome. Thank you much. Yeah. So Matt, let's start with you. What What was your Star Trek background where did you start watching uh this franchise uh i think starting syndication and then uh eventually realizing that uh and uh, i think star trek the next generation was actually the first time i realized that a show could have a continual story like i think mm. i was that young when i was like oh they're they're their own stories but there's still something else sort of going on a little bit like like you could co- sort of put it all together to get that thing and i know it's it's not uh, like something like a lost or anything like that. But like, it was that thing where I'm like, oh, something that happened with Will Riker and, and Deanna matters later, even though it was in this own little story. So like, I grew up with it like that. And I've since watched it, I think twice through, uh, as an adult. Cause I didn't obviously catch it in order when it was on TV, when I was first watching it. So this right. was a delight to revisit an episode. It's been about maybe like five years since my last rewatch. So just to like jump in the middle was really cool. That's awesome. What about you, Jeffrey? When did you first get involved with Star Trek? Let's see. I remember reruns of the original on TV and then getting really excited when this came out because my mom and I used to uh, both read and watch together on sci-fi. She's also a big sci-fi fan. And so I remember getting to stay up late to watch the original Battlestar Galactica. Mm. And then I was older when this came out. So we would like sit and watch it together off, up until I went off to college. And so it was like, and we'd still talk about it. And then about four or five years ago, my wife, who is not a Star Trek fan at all, but had liked Galaxy Quest hugely. I'm like, you got to watch Star Trek Next Gen with me. And so I looked up on the internet and found like the 10 best episodes from seasons one and two, because it gets off to a bit of a slow start if you're not a Trekkie. Yeah. So we only watched those and she was hooked by that. And then we watched every episode of like seasons three through seven together all the way through and now we've done a whole bunch more track so multiple important women in my life have um revolved been in star trek with me that's amazing i love you use the simpsons method to introduce <laughs> next generation that's strong <laughs> oh 
I, I do my research here. <laughs> you know, these are important <laughs> things. Got to get that good first impression. Yes. And the fact that Galaxy Quest was the way in for your wife. I'm like, how did she get any of the jokes? Like, it felt like it was such a parody of Star Trek. But it was also such a good movie. Yeah. It was. Like, yeah. Even without any Star Trek knowledge, like, you know, Alan Rickman, oh. and just, the, the whole crew, Sigourney, we, I mean, just that was terrific acting. That was one of the yeah. best non Star Trek Star Trek movies ever made. Truly. Well, excellent. This episode, as I said, is First Contact. And it is one of the few, I think there's only four episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation that don't give the star date of when this occurs. So oh. you don't actually know. I assume it's between the two other ones uh, before <laughs> and after it <laughs> Chrono you know, in the chronology. But we don't know. It could happen uh, before the show even started. Who knows? But in our world, it premiered on February 18th, 1991. I will go through some of the fun slash terrible things that were happening at the time. Uh, on February 16th, two days before this aired, Tanya Harding won the U.S. Female Figure Skating Championship, and that's where her story ends. <laughs> that was it. Great, great championship. She did so good. Ambassador uh, for the game. <laughs> um, wow. But of course, we know that is not the case, but this is arguably the, the peak of her career, uh, and she's uh, chasing that, that, that peak ever after this moment, um, right when this aired, which is crazy. On February 21st, a couple days after this, the USSR said that they knew that Iraq had agreed to a proposal to end the Gulf War that was going on at the time, and the US called that plan Pretty much bullshit. They're like, mm, nope, I don't think that's going to work. Uh, two days after that, President Bush gave Iraq a 24-hour deadline to withdraw from Kuwait or face a ground invasion. I remember this being super tense as the 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 air campaign had been happening for about a month or so, and we had all those. It felt like this was the birth of CNN, right, where there was just round-the-clock like coverage oh, of what yeah. was happening uh, yeah. in the Gulf War, and we were all like. What's going to happen next? I remember them <laughs> wheeling TVs into our classrooms at school yep. or into the library so we could go watch pieces of it. Yeah. Yeah. It was the first war where any of my classmates went to protests. Oh, wow. Mm. In Kansas City. I remember the, the big fountain downtown. You drive by and there's, you know, 50 people there with signs. <laughs> it's kind of the same way in Kansas City now. My parents took me to a protest uh, right around this mm -hmm. time, which is maybe why I don't remember this episode very well. I was probably actively protesting somewhere <laughs> the week that this came out. <laughs> I love that Kate, you had this history of, of protesting both for, for environmental reasons and yes. anti-war. You were, you were uh, in it to win it from the beginning. I was a rabble rouser from a young age. <laughs> I approve. <laughs> Not that you need my approval, but that's, it's so fun to hear everybody like getting started on it and when they did. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, but uh, sadly, the 24 hour deadline was up the following day as it happens in 24 hours or 26 hour uh, cycles as we'll get to in this episode. Um, but <laughs> the US led forces began and I've forgotten this code name Operation Desert Saber was the yes. name of the ground Saber. invasion of uh, southern Iraq. Um, but yeah, that was going on in the news. All of us were were watching this. But there was also some other fun entertainment things happening, right, Kate? 
That's right. In entertainment pop culture world, uh, in the music category, Gonna Make You Sweat, Everybody Dance Now, continues to be number one. But the 33rd uh, annual Grammy Awards took place mm. on February 20th. Uh, record of the year, Another Day in Paradise by Phil Collins. Uh, that uplifting uh, album that is, you know, withstood the test of time. Song of the Year, From a Distance by Bette Midler. Gorgeous song. Choruses uh, across the, the, the United States sang that. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it was like everybody's that year graduating senior song, for sure. <laughs> totally. And anyone want to guess Best New Artist, 1991? Millie oh. Ooh, close. Vanilla well, not Ice. close. Mariah Carey. Oh. Oh. Mariah wow. Carey. Yeah. The Queen wow, of Christmas? I definitely thought she was before this. <laughs> I did too. I did too. That's but amazing. no, this was this was her big debut. <laughs> <laughs> the debut you talent. <laughs> and uh, in the movie world, Silence of the Lambs takes yes. over at Ooh. number one, yep. uh, which is... A movie that stands the test of time for sure. We've had a few of these number one movies that I've gone really, but this is one where I'm like, all right, fair enough. Yeah, and we're and, only we're only four months away from Terminator Two: Judgment Day, which oh. uh, I, I was I was hoping it would line up for this segment, but it was too far away. But I ah. put it in anyway. 1991 was a big red letter year for that banner <laughs> year. My birthday is right at the beginning of July. I remember we went to go see that on my birthday. Like a whole group of friends went to see T2 yes. on that. Like, uh, back when theater releases were still a big yeah. thing. Right. Dun, 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 dun. Uh, and then in theater, Lost in Yonkers opened at Richard Rogers Theater. So at least they had a location to start from once they got lost. <laughs> <laughs> That's what the play's about, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what was happening in pop culture news. Do do do, Sweet, uh, Eric. What can you tell us about the guest stars uh, happening in this? Because I know we've got at least one that's very. We prominent. do. We're gonna stay with Kate Yeager's favorite, BB Newworth. We have a couple others, but they have been talked about in previous episodes, uh, and, and uh, we're gonna stick with BB. Uh, well known, of course, as a theater monster. She starred in uh, Chorus Line as Sheila in 1980. That's her Broadway debut, uh, mm. and then she, of course, was in Little Me and got a. Uh, Tony Award for Sweet Charity, a revival in 1986, and was, of course, fantastic as Lola in Damn Yankees in 1994, before probably her most famous role uh, in Chicago in 1996 as Velma. It's st that production is still going now, um, <laughs> which says a lot about the original cast, including herself and Joel Grey. Um, in 2014, she came back again playing Mama Morton in the same production. Uh, she's really, really a badass. Of course, she got into this guest star because she had become a f uh, star of uh, Cheers after her Tony. She came in in season five or six there as Lilith Sternin, the antagonist and then wife and then later antagonist again of one Fraser Crane, um, who will join her as a guest star on Star Trek next season. He, he is the second uh, of the cast from Cheers that will make their uh, Star Trek debut. She is the first. Uh, she's still working now. She was awesome on Law and & Order, and she is my hero. I have a weird happenstance. So I watched this, I too freaked out, but because something I've been watching over the past few months 
every evening I seem to watch one episode of this and I don't know why I just needed something comfortable was <laughs> Frasier. So follow me down this silly rabbit hole. I'm on season 10 of Frasier now. And uh, I went and I watched this in I watched this Star Trek episode on my living room uh, set like it. So I was like paying attention. I'm like, okay, now I'm going to go to bed. I'm going to watch an episode of Frasier. I just so happened to be at season 10, episode 13, entitled Lilith Needs a Favor, where Lilith comes on and, and uh, asks for uh, some of, uh, as Frazier would put it, his essence to have another child. <laughs> and who does she sit next to on the plane? Brent Spiner. Ooh. What? <laughs> and so my brain melted a little bit because I had a double feature that made sense. And it was just such a weird, weird moment of like, ah, I've been on a media journey today. So it was very, very nice. This all just was very Fantastic. serendipitous. Back to the 90s. I will say that she got the role because she is a Trekkie. They, they, uh, as, as has been the case with several of the guest stars throughout the series so far, they found out she's a huge fan and sent over a script with a like, please. <laughs> she said, absolutely. That's amazing. In fact, on one of her shoot days, she was unavailable for several hours because she had to go to a Cheers read-through in her makeup. Wow. 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 In the alien makeup. Oh, that's so great. Now I want a picture <laughs> yeah. of that. Yeah. With her. <laughs> it's funny. When my wife and I were watching this two nights ago, my wife, who didn't know who she was, just looked at her and said, that lady has comedy training. Uh, my wife's an actor. And we're just looking right. at her delivery. And we were just like, he was like, okay, she has this kind of training on this. And I was like, okay. You know. <laughs> that is true. She's that, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just the presence she brought on screen and, you know, like just stealing. Yeah. It was just, she's fun to watch. Yeah. Oh, totally. Brought the, like the sitcom energy. Also uh, the hospital uh, procedural energy that's going on <laughs> in this episode. Uh, so cool. Uh, I'll give you guys some updates on what's happening uh, behind the scenes in lieu of Jimmy G. Uh, he did make sure to say he was sad he couldn't make this, but he wanted to assure us that we were all wrong. Um, and so, <laughs> oh, thank you. Feels right. That. Fair yeah. enough. <laughs> um, but yeah, this was a concept that came from someone named Mark Scott Zikri. He had been pitching nonstop. They had asked him uh, for Star Trek stories, and he gave like 50 or 60 of them. And this was the one that they kept going back to. Um, but the story concept itself needed work. So it, it went through so many different hands. It was uh, by mm -hmm. the screenwriters Dennis Putnam Bailey and David Bischoff, uh, as well as Ronald D. Moore and Joe Manoski, uh, who showed up uh, as a writer for last episode. And uh, the, event, the reason why it was so hard to, of a story nut to crack was because it dealt with breaking a rule of Star Trek that Gene Roddenberry had instituted which was that each one of the episodes need to have the star trek bridge crew as the point of view and mm. this is one of the only and at least the first where it is the uh guest stars or the, the the culture that is their entire point of view uh for this entire episode and once they realized that they could break that and get at least a gene's blessing on it they're like let's go all in um, and it went through so many different permutations. At one point, it was going to be the, uh, the cliffhanger for season four. It might have been Wesley's last episode, uh, saying that he had to stay behind on this planet to help them with their warp uh, technology. 
Um, eventually ended up with the, uh, maybe the Enterprise shuttlecraft was stranded there. So they actually pulled apart the ship and learned the technology that way. Uh, and then there's another version in which the away team that's trapped on there became like local celebrities and were treated uh, much more reverentially uh, by the entire uh, Macronians, uh, right? That's what they're called, the Macronians? <laughs> Mal Mal yeah. Malcorians. Malcorians, there you are, thank you. <laughs> And I think that's all that uh, is from the Mystic File. So, all right, let's jump into the episode proper. It has a uh, very interesting cold open because it does cement that point of view mm -hmm. of being not a normal episode of Star Trek. Uh, you get the hospital sound design of like oh this is this is something like more akin to saying elsewhere no yeah saying elsewhere er no, maybe yeah. yeah er maybe at the time yeah thank you i was thinking general hospital but i'm like they don't really do hospital scene in general <laughs> hospital <laughs> it was odd which is odd yeah <laughs> but i loved that they tried to recreate in this set and in this moment things that felt grounded for uh, us in our world, but also definitely felt alien and different at the same time. And that was a, a hard thing to pull off. But I think they do with all these instruments and the way they describe the different organs uh, as we see Riker on the examination table and he's seriously hurt. Actually, we don't. You don't see Riker's face until the very last shot of the open intentionally. That um, So you get pieces of Riker, but you never and you can kind of guess it's him from the physicality. But he's out cold, and you never see Riker's face until the very last shot, right before they go to the opening credits. Yeah. So, what did you think of 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 seeing these other characters that you had no idea who they were or what the context was until that shot? I guess it's hard because, like, I think everybody here had seen it before, so like you know it's Riker at that. It's hard to get the surprise that you had kind of for the first episode with here's that. here's the thing that I noticed for the sort of the the, the question you posed on this show about revisiting it as a, a, an adult that is in the storytelling business right like yeah the what I couldn't get out of my mind because I, I know that I know that cold open I've watched it a bunch of times but now sort of thinking about it I'm like this open feels like the most modern thing I can remember in next generation from story structure mm. from a story structure perspective like mm -hmm. it's it doesn't like and and at the same time, because of that modernity, it almost felt like, oh yeah, this is this is a thing. It didn't it didn't have like the reverence because we're so used to sort of seeing like, well, what if this TV show did this shift now? And back then, <laughs> in this show, they did not do that. And so it was a kind of a fun rubber band to go like to to actually even just listen to you sort of talking about the process this thing went through and getting the okay and making sure that this was actually something that would fit under Gene's sort of vision. Uh, that makes total sense because it is an off-the-wall move for the time and the show. It's something that works very well when pulled off well like this did. And now I feel like we see this kind of thing like almost like one episode a season of various shows depending on what we're talking about. Like this feels like a trope that like people i don't know if this this didn't originate of course but like i feel like this is a one of the most popular things at the time and we've seen something like this we're like no 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 we're not looking at the people you're all here to see here's a bunch of aliens and makeup for a while and you're like huh like all right it was just a cool experience to like to look at yeah. it from that perspective totally what did you think eric yeah i mean it's it starts at the beginning or it starts not at the beginning, which is what we're we're used to. We're used to like a Twilight Zone uh, uh, mm -hmm. kind of opening with with a little voiceover and setting up the the universe that we're in for right now via the Captain's Log. 
and suddenly we're in a Friedkin movie instead, you know, and that's <laughs> fucking cool. Oh, just anytime we, it, similar to Eric, anytime we start in the middle, I'm a happy camper. I love coming into a situation where where it's already fraught and we have to sort of ca- play catch up as to what's going on. And the way they reveal is so smart because it's so familiar and yet alien at the same time. There's so many things that are sort of comforting, like the paging of doctors, right? We we recognize that din in the background, but then suddenly like the faces look different and their fingers are fused together. And then as they're discovering very slowly, like, oh, well, this isn't working. His These organs aren't where they're supposed to be and what's wrong with his fingers right like i just think it's i i love coming in in the frenetic moment where something has just happened before you know what else they didn't have i just realized i'm 95 percent sure that this is the first time i've seen a star trek where they go to an alien place or world where they don't have an establishing shot mm. yeah because usually they'll be like every other time they like beam down or something you have those you know the nice paintings with a little bit of animation on them you know, the establishing, here's the alien world or the so-and-so or the so-and-so or, but there was none on the hospital yeah. start. It dove right in, which for Star Trek is at that time, almost unheard of because they kind of set up, here's where we're going to, you know, it's the wide storytelling with the focus down in mm-hmm. to kind of help it make it feel like the big new, you know, world and not a claustrophobic space. It also reminded me of X-Files cold opens, like the mm-hmm. way that they're like, there's a mystery Here's some things you you have no context for. You know, Mulder mm. and Scully usually aren't in those, especially the uh, the uh, hero mm. of the week, or monster of the week ones, right? So just like here's the problem, uh, and you're you, the uh, as everybody's saying, the audience is made to like draw their own conclusions right away. And I love that they use that same banter, that same hospital kind of mm-hmm. language that has you know uh, been ingrained in us from other other shows, right? And it totally pulls on all that from from the way it's shot, the way they're talking. The way they have that, you know, oh, there's there's someone who's like angry. There's like the mad one. There's the hat, you know, the more diplomatic one. And like they use all that to um, upset the status quo of Star Trek. But then, yeah, we get that shot of Riker. We realize, dun, 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 he's in trouble. Credits roll. <laughs> um, and then uh, we go right back to that point of view as uh, Riker is the one who is being questioned. He comes up with a name or maybe it's his... <laughs> It's a great acting moment here. Jonathan Frakes not quite remembering his name, but also like improving at the same time. Uh, Rivas Jakara. He's a Mar- uh, tourist from uh, the Marta community on the southern continent. Um, and uh, they start to come up with this story that he uh, these are all genetic defects. He's had, you know, surgical implants, all this stuff. What did you guys think about this this questioning of Riker here? Uh, I actually I love because to me, it's an established uh background that he has but he's trying to remember it in the moment right it's waking up in that moment what's the last thing i remember oh shit i'm in a hospital this could be fraught and so it's trying to access the lie in the moment is just really satisfying to watch uh for me um and i love the this sort of chief of staff um medical doctor that is just you know on the way out you know the another thing gives us a little Columbo, right? Like, I just yeah. love them sort of trying to to figure out this mystery from our point of view, right? Like, what what would this be if this happened to us, right? I, I, I don't know. It's just fascinating. And to me, it plays on uh, the 
again another X Files kind of thing of like, yeah, there are aliens out there. This was at you know in 1991. There, this was when there were all those. I want to say conspiracy theories, but that means something different now. Mm-hmm. But you know that, that idea that there was the aliens out there that were that were uh, underneath the surface, all of the abductions and the cow mutilations and stuff that was all you know front and center at this time. And they play on that in this in the writing that like these people think that way because they're they're just like us. They're a pre warp culture. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, the doctor says you're going to post a guard out there 29 hours a day. <laughs> I want security on his door 29 hours a day. So I was like, nice. Nice. We're not on Earth, wink. Right? I, was, I love that. I love that in sci-fi where they just do the slight. I mean, even, again, we've talked about it. All the medical jargon, but they're like, his squiddly spooch isn't on the right. And you're like, it's not. Like, it's just so fun. I love that the universal translator works, but not for kidneys. Yes. <laughs> and where was his translator? Because he's missing. Remember, he's asking. He's like, I, lo- I had a little, you know, medallion, mm. piece of jewelry, a pin. Yeah, when, I read it. When they're undercover, they do a battlefish instead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I read it as Riker did his homework, and it were, they were actually speaking Malkorian. It was just translated for the audience. That was how I took it. But then again, who, yeah. Yeah, subdermal. There implant. is another weird yeah. uh, indiscrepancy, unless maybe someone can 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 prove me sort of, because around this time, and we, and I don't want to jump ahead, but it's when they when the Malkorians, are, we first meet like the council in their little office. I think it's mm. right after that scene. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, we learn that the planet is Malkor 3, right? Yeah. We also learn that their society believes, not quite then, but they're they're at the center of the universe, like they, like a pre, you know, like Earth, believe, you know, that sort of thing, yada, yada, yada. But I was like, well, if they're like the, in their culture, if they're like the number one thing and they haven't done space travel yet, why is this planet? Oh, they haven't done warp travel. So maybe there are different Malcors. Maybe that's what it is. But I, when I heard Malcor three, I was like, "But y'all haven't been out there yet." Right. I was like, "Why would you name your? If you're the most, but you're right, Jeff. Maybe we don't know. Maybe there's two more Malcors that they've they've moved around maybe in their all solar the planets system. in the system are Malcor. Yeah, yeah. Because the star is named Malcor, and then the planets, the third, and, like so, we're Soul three. I love uh, it. I love that's, it. But Cannon. I I thought of that too, actually too, Matt, because I was like, I had that same moment of like, why would they classify it the same way that the Federation is classifying it? But again, maybe that's just the universal translator. But that's where the point of view gets messed up because yeah. if this this scene, there's nobody <laughs> from the Federation there. Yeah. yeah. You gotta, you gotta suspend your disbelief for a second here. But all right. So yeah, they're in the Chancellor's office. Uh, Marasta Yale is, gets introduced. She's a scientist who's all about uh, the warp technology. She's basically saying that they can... Uh, do this within six months if they get the okay from the chancellor. And then we start to realize maybe this is a first contact story. This is where, uh, and this was the original concept was like, what if we showed, we've talked about first contact so many times in in Star Trek before, what if we actually just showed it and what dramatically how it could progress. Um, And then we have Krola, uh, the minister of security. Uh, I love this actor. He is one of those folks who just shows up in everything. Michael Ensign, very good actor. Right? Uh, he's He does a very good job of having his eyes too close together so that you feel, <laughs> you feel like he's just always yelling at you. I wrote in my notes, Krola sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Not that his performance was bad. His performance was great. He was great at being the kind of person that you'd write that note about. <laughs> I actually found myself a lot more sympathetic to him on this watching than like any watching oh, before. Interesting. Which I thought was because he's meant to be such the good foil, you know, the sci- you know, 
the foil to the scientists in Star Trek is about science and the brave new future. But it, maybe it's just the past, you know, multiple decades since then that I recognize that there are people who do not want the brave, bright new future to come as quickly as I and a lot of the people I know want it. And, you know, as I'm getting older, that I can see that, that, you know, for some people that we are moving too fast or for others like me, we're not moving fast enough. But he, it was a really interesting thing that I realized I didn't have that gut visceral reaction to like. And maybe it was also that um, Minister Yale just hurt. She so wants the thing that that little smug smile she has when the uh, planetary leader tells off Krola, mm. you know, also made me realize, too, that, you know, she's a little too self-righteous on review, you know, watching this again in my 40s or in my 20s and teens. You know, it's like, yeah, idealistic scientists pushing for warp. It's certainly a, a good portrayal of that uh, foil. For me, it, I mean, it really does boil down to like almost conservatism versus liberalism. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. divorcing that from our current political spectrum, but the idea of like, because even Krola in this scene is like traditional values. You're you're breaking those, and your supporters won't like it mm -hmm. anymore. And I mean. I, I think I have an opposite view. I think uh, Jeffrey and I, at this point, I was like, maybe I would have understood that back when I was a kid, um, you know, again, during the Gulf War and all that stuff that was going on. Um, this time I'm like, no, fuck that dude. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say I like him. I just said I you understood it. Him. Yeah. Cause you've met a probably, you've met a lot of people like that at this well, point. Yeah. I feel like in our current, uh, newscape or whatever we want to call it, the discourse TM uh, yeah. we do have more people that are very like Krola speaks like a like a and I use air quotes here like a conservative sort of viewpoint uh, now like like pundits speak now like just yelling about the thing that's like we, we need to, traditional values and like before that wasn't how it was presented even if that's what it sort of was believed it what, what they wanted or however it was it was a little more uh People didn't say the quiet part loud in, in media <laughs> as much, and now we're so used to the the, the nightmare right. escape that we live in, uh, it feels a little bit odd. But because the traditional values he's talking about are also probably pretty shitty. Right? Yeah, like, we, yeah. We don't. We don't. He doesn't know. say that here in this scene, but maybe but, but, that means hating on gay people you know, and like, his and, actions uh, later on, which I do want to talk about, which we'll get to back in the hospital. It always means that. It yeah. always means that, right? Yeah. Does, yeah. Eric. So right. anyway, yeah. Krola sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Your note is valid. Uh, okay. So then we get, the, so after that setup, then we realize uh, what's going on. They're about to enter into the galactic uh, citizenry mm -hmm. and Picard and Troy beam directly into Marasta's lab and say, Yo, what up? You're right. This is going to happen. And this is a really, this is the first time we've ever seen, uh, uh, well, actually, I guess that's not true because we will get to that point. Uh, there have been many first contacts that were accidental. This is the first time that it was actually intentional. Right. Or that we've seen on the show an intentional yes. one. Yes. Because I don't think they ever did that in the original the original series? No, I'm not, I'm not to my knowledge. But yeah, a couple times. It in, feels in... like they weren't going to trust Kirk with that. It's <laughs> <laughs> probably yeah, a wise yeah, choice. Have... He leads with his pelvis. Punched him. <laughs> or, yeah, or that. Uh, so yeah, what did you guys think about? I actually really enjoyed this back and forth between Troy and Picard. Obviously, they practiced this, but it didn't feel like a practiced mm. speech, right? Which yeah. was, you know, not, not easy to pull mm. off. At first, I had a total, like, what the actual fuck? They're just going to beam in out of nowhere 
and frighten this poor woman, you know, to pieces. But the more they talked about like, no, this is the way we do it. And this is why we do it. And this, I was like, okay, all right. I guess I'll buy that. Yeah, they've done it. I haven't done it. Like they know what works best. (laughs) Are the boys in the lab putting you up to this? I know. I love that. This is a practical joke. Well, is Ashton Kutcher here? Yeah, yeah. It felt like uh, uh, it felt like two friends and work colleagues who've done the sales pitch a hundred times and like, but are good at it. Yeah. Like it doesn't feel routine. They actually give a shit. Like it, it just felt like very comfortable for them to do it, even though it was a shocking moment. So, uh, Kate, I had the very same reaction you did. Like, what are you doing? And then, due to their demeanor, I was like, all right. This oh is yeah, fun. yeah. <laughs> but Minister Kale's arc on that's pretty good too, because she goes from disbelief to consideration, and her last line is when they offer to prove it to her. Is that pause followed by the, I yeah. would like that. Because she wants, you know, she to seal the X Files line. She wants yeah. to believe, and she does, and that's part of her character arc too. That you know is kicking off with that. You know, we've seen her arguing for her thing, but this puts her into the Star Trek community. She wants to be the brave explorer, and she wants to go out and see what's out there. Right. And that step, like, sure, I will go with the aliens. And then they take her to a bar. I right? know. Yeah. Yeah. One up, ten forward. <laughs> yeah, big, go, come to the uh, the Star Wars cantina here. Mm-hmm. And this actor is Carolyn Seymour, and she has played both before and after this. She will play a Romulan. Mm. So it's very interesting to see her mm. in in a still very you know very internal, very uh, cerebral role, but a, but a different overall kind of uh, kernel to what it is. I figure they just take everyone to 10 forward because you're going to need a stiff drink. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's that's the scene we don't see next. <laughs> or that's the scene that's cut out from the middle. right? <laughs> but also, like, if you want to prove you're not a warlike group, you yeah. know, that you're coming, it's like, come look where everybody hangs out yeah. from all of these different planets and cultures and gets along together. Yeah. I mean, it, it makes sense that that's where you would take somebody. Totally. And that has the big observation deck. Mm-hmm. You know, which is also nice. You know, go look down at the planet. But it's just like, we'll prove it to you. Next scene, you know, three aliens walk into a bar. Three aliens walk into a bar. I, I, think it, I think it's both of those, right? You get to see your own planet from a ship mm-hmm. is amazing moment, I'm, I'm sure. And uh, this is the third of fourth times that Captain Picard has done this specifically to a native female from her home planet. It was in uh, Justice, the episode, and who watches the Watchers after their uh, first contact research goes awry. They do the same thing. Um, And then later on, it happens in Star Trek Insurrection, the movie, um, in which Picard says when he sees his own planet uh, for the first time, he had this moment. And so maybe that's why he keeps trying to uh, make that happen with others. Maybe less creepy than just taking them right to the captain's ready room. (laughs) Yes. With the what with the tiny window, like it's still a window. It's not the view you're getting from ten forward. And here are my PJs. Uh, she says, uh, Marasta Yale says that she had uh, a planetarium. So I just love that this. I love that. Right, the story that she was a kid and loved the show, was seeing the stars. I mean, how many times have, can we relate to that for yeah. sure? Did you know I used to work at the planetarium? 
No. True story. I used to do That's the cool. I used to do the the shows. The Pacific That's Science Center used to cool. hire actors and scientists and the scientists would teach us the science and then we would teach them how to tell a story and it was like a really beautiful they don't do that anymore but it was a beautiful oh. thing. No. That's awesome. Because that was my problem with taking uh, uh, astronomy was like, dude, why are you making this so boring? (laughs) Right. Like, this should be exciting and Star Trek y. And they were just like, no, no. Here's the math. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, that's where she explains that they have observation teams, that this is a whole process. And she at this time says, don't tell my boss about that. Don't do it. Don't do it. Chancellor Durkin. Yeah. Don't tell him. And they're like, okay. Well, they, they kind of just leave it like, you know, all right, well, we'll see how things play out. Yeah. We, we really need to find him, um, which is why they were like, they needed to accelerate their plans a little bit and that, talk to her before they had planned. That's right. Because they didn't still, they didn't know, uh, uh, the, the, the chancellor wasn't even informed yet about the alien until the report from that doctor yes. went up the chain to Crowla. Yeah, yeah. Okay, it's all coming back. I watched right. it two nights ago. It's all up here. Uh, <laughs> but it's a, it's a weird, cool... It sets up the whole conflict for the episode, really, because if she doesn't say this, then there's nothing to fight against. Perhaps, yeah, and, and, and I like that this is a... There are steps here that one definitely does determine the other, and we're seeing the bureaucracy of a planet, like work kind of similarly to the way that we would understand our bureaucracy to work. So again, it helps with that sort of like plays into the doctor stuff. It plays into the politics stuff. It's all very like understandable and digestible. Which is so cool. And then we go right, go to Riker and what's happening with him. So we get a little bit of a a back and forth between Dr. Burrell and the nurse. Basically everyone's like whispering and rumoring about like, there's a very hot alien. (laughs) (laughs) And that Dr. Burrell is Broadway royalty George Hearn. Ooh. I just had to mention George Hearn. You should. You've got to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Because he does a really great interrogation here of Jakara uh, Riker, where he basically says like, look, we we couldn't verify a single damn thing you told us. (laughs) And there are people out there who think you're an alien. And Riker does a very good job of being like, <laughs> that's ridiculous. I'm not. A, and, and I love the line about being like, you know, uh, UFOs are turn out to be weather balloons, which was a common uh, explanation mm-hmm. for UFOs. Kids listening you notice, to this. By the way, that Riker never lies. Yeah, that's what I mean. Thing, yeah. It's like, you know, Riker's like, you know, the guy says, are you an alien? And Riker's like, do you realize what you're saying? How silly that sounds kind of thing like he never says no i'm not right which is interesting he he uses misdirection on that which i i thought was just a really interesting federation kind of trait. it's like no we're not going to lie to you but we are going to try and keep our cover here yeah he saves his lies for for his name and his location but then he puts his, some truth in there he's like oh my dr crusher oh you know what it's <laughs> on sabbatical uh yeah that was a straight up lie yeah but yeah He's not answering quest direct questions with with pure lies outside because, of because he's following the prime directive where he's like I can lie about certain things but I can't I can't tell you the truth about who I am or where I am because yeah. that would violate mm-hmm. our highest law. But it also made me think I, I don't this is a random aside but I've been watching Poker Face uh, oh, on Peacock man. which has uh, the character who can just detect lies and so people who know that are basically trying to do what Riker's doing here is like say things that are true mm-hmm. that are good answers but are not you know, going to be anywhere near to a lie. And I feel like that's what he's trying to do here. 
this is where Picard uh, shows up with Marasta, and uh, they're gonna. He, he's doing some nice uh, Notary Republic signing of things. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Always have time for your friends, Marasta. Yeah, Governor, I think you may want to clear your schedule. And then the alien shows up, and it's Picard. They don't have bald people on this planet, so when they saw Picard, <laughs> they freaked out. <laughs> <laughs> that would be absolutely Guinan's least favorite planet in the universe. <laughs> <laughs> That's the nice uh, stinger to the end of that before we go to commercial. And then back from commercial, we're up on the bridge and we're showing uh, everybody that's what's happening um this is a different planet they see the view screen now they can see the planet underneath it and then they get to meet commander data which is always nice and he tells them that he's a not a constructed being he's an artificial life form i love there's a moment where um well all of the moments where she becomes the expert on the ship right because she's been there <laughs> once before and i feel like i've been this kid before like when i've gone to places you know, like when I was in college, we went on a trip to my old hometown for a, a for some performances. And I was like, so like, I have to show you this place and then this place and this place because I've been to all of these places. And I love the fact that she's like, I need to beam back on. Like, I just yeah. love it because she's learning the lexicon and she's so <laughs> cool. And it reminds me of... Um, you know, I, we're going to strike these stools because we've worked with Corky so many times. Yes. We're just going to strike these stools. Like, I just... Red Willard. I live it. I live for it. <laughs> yeah. I thought that same thing, Kate, right as you said that. It's like, yeah, we know the lingo. And she has a glow the entire scene. Yeah, it's great. Like, she is radiating, like, bubbly science. I love this. I am so happy. Yeah. Which definitely also does help sell sort of where we end up at the end, too. Like, seeing oh, her totally. like this like is 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 a great like precursor to all of that yeah they go to drink some wine in the ready room this is another one of those continuity things matt so uh the, the wine they're drinking is from uh picard's brothers uh mm -hmm. vineyard and uh a little note i saw here was that um he renee had said don't drink this alone mm -hmm. uh and he doesn't he drinks it uh you know as a toast showing people what a toast is uh mm -hmm. for this first contact so he he stayed true to his word to his brother there and they have a really good conversation here. I really love this feels natural, this this back and forth between Picard and the Chancellor. And there's a really great like the way it sort of plays out feels very natural. It feels like two people that absolutely do not know each other, but that want to know each other and respect each other, which is an interesting sort of dynamic. And they end up what talking about like how basically like what he's going to do next is like I'm going to go home and see my family. Well, what are you going to say to your family? You know, whatever. And he's mm. going to say, "This morning I was the leader of the universe as I knew it, and after this, I'm only a voice in a chorus." But I think it was a good day. It was a yeah. good day. And I was like, "That's a good line." All right, there's a reason this dude is in charge. Like there was just like a really like it was such a. Not only respectful and eloquent way, but just like a smooth as fuck. Like this is like, and like him and Picard are vibing, and it's just like it's a real nice like, yeah. Like it was, it's a feel good moment, but it also felt like not saccharine or over the top. Yeah. So that yeah. was very nice. Hits differently too, from when you were a kid watching this to now being an adult. Thousand uh, percent with kids and be like yeah no i have that deep talks all the time and i'm sometimes i tell them about things and sometimes i don't but this is one where i'd be like okay yeah i got to witness some stuff <laughs> i saw some shit today. <laughs> <laughs> all right but then we go back to some smashing um so in the hospital uh riker is up and around looking and this is where we meet a nurse 
by the name of Linnell, and she comes in and she's already got the plan in her head, right? <laughs> I love the very first moment he's trying to break out with that bench. And then she says, you can't get out. And he drops the bench, like, so casually. <laughs> like, like, I don't know how you drop something casually, but he does. Like, what bench? Like, it is just so, I rewound it because I was laughing so hard. <laughs> <laughs> for, for me, that set up that this was this was a comedic scene. Yes, for I don't sure. know why. It just seemed so weird and out of place that he's like, oh, just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Linnell says uh, basically, hey, I could help you, but why should I make love to me? And uh, he puts up a good fight. He tries to say, does like, he? no. <laughs> he sure does say no once. <laughs> more, more reluctance than we've seen Riker have in the that past. That is very true. So that, that. You know what? I'll, that's fair enough. Well, on this planet, he's done enough research to know that the man is supposed to say no once. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> he's just being respectful of the planet's of course, you know, of course. mores. I just love that this is, they do like a little jump cut, right? Where, yeah. where it just becomes epically apparent that they totally smashed. And I was like, that is more than we usually get from this show, right? Like, normally we get, like, the pan off into the distance, but you don't get the next morning of the sly opening of the door and the, like, uh, we fucking did it. Yeah, we yeah. did. <laughs> it, feels like, it feels more like akin normally in these shows to, like, a, a veil in a role-playing game, right? Like, like you sort of, like, lovingly sort of, like, fade off to the end and then you come back to something else. This is just, like... No, I boom, <laughs> okay, it's done. Let's keep going. Like, it's real, it's, it's real apparent. Uh, I think we even get an exterior establishing shot between that, too, where it goes from that to the outside and then back in. I'm not positive. No, she, yeah, she opens the door and comes out, and they're like, well, all right, what happened in that between those two <laughs> edits there? Well, and, it, and, it, and it, it cuts away when she's looking at it, his fingers, right? Like, that's what I it's almost know. weirdly intimate that she's like, oh, these fingers. Listen, listen. <laughs> yeah. When you come from a, a planet of uh, phalange people who are all fused <laughs> together, you're going to get real creative with those, uh, you know, free-flowing digits. And Shovels? I'm just going to leave it there. For, for the audio listeners, uh, every one of us just held our hands up, like as if you could see. Like, remember in the episode? <laughs> oh. I love I love podcasts for that because when you get psyched about things that you're talking about, everyone does a visual thing because we're like, yes. And then I like calling it out. The uh, heart. I um, <laughs> I might cut this out of the episode itself, but I have to notice just because we all do this with our hands. Uh, I. My friend group had a videotape of a movie that was called Edward Penis Hands. Oh, yes. I wow. remember Edward Penis. Never saw it. I heard of that. Never saw it. I have seen it multiple times. Uh, <laughs> but there, there's this. There is basically exactly what we all did with our hands. Right. <laughs> is Is basically the movie. It's a pretty good parody, actually, by the way. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I, watched it. I watched it for the story. Um <laughs> Riker has that great line. Uh, Am I ever going to see you again? Says Linnell, BB Newworth, and I'll call you the next time I pass through your solar star system. So good. Yeah. Frickin' Riker. <laughs> but then he doesn't even get away, and they start yeah. beating him up, and I he's know. bleeding internally. Here's here's the thing: that whole section does nothing. Nothing. Zero percent to move the story forward. Like like it exists only for the great pleasure of existing. And I'm for it. 
Oh, I was going to say, that I wonder if that goes back to even all the scripting differences and all the different things, and then also trying to, from a production standpoint, fit in where uh, where BB could actually be in the show. And this was a nice thing that, like, well, Riker needs to get away. What's a silly thing we could do here? Rock and roll. Like, yeah. that feels <laughs> like it could be a one-day shoot. Totally. Yeah. I, I think that in Riker season two, which is about four, season, four years away, <laughs> we're going to get uh, the sun of oh. uh, Lanel and Riker. Uh-oh. Uh, Let's go. Since we got to bring BB back, you know. That's a and great that's, idea. that's what that whole section is for. Canon's <laughs> just 35 years too early. I was going to say, it ups the stakes a tiny bit because you're thinking, like, you know, this fun thing has happened. She's going to help him get away. And he, 20 seconds later, you know, is caught in a fight you know, gets punched by a guy, throws a punch, picks up another, and then just gets dogpiled. Yeah. They're they're kind of setting up, they're going a little bit against expectation there because you're kind of, it's the trope of, you know, friendly alien helping you kind of thing. And then they just like, nope. Ups and downs of space exploration, right? Where you're like, <laughs> oh, sure, I can bang a space alien, but then I get beat to a pulp right after. Mm. Don't join Starfleet, kids. Mm. That feels like a horror movie trope, you know, one of the, <laughs> yeah. oh, the person slept with so-and-so, now they're allowed yeah. to be murdered. Yeah, true story. So then they do go to a meeting with Jerkin and his staff, and they're talking about what's to do about this first contact, uh, and that's where there's a lot more back and forth of uh, the conservative point of view and the place exploration, let's join this Federation of Planets, or at least acknowledge this Federation of Planets that Marasta is is arguing for. But then that's where Krola says, oh, by the way, they have a uh, they have spies. We've caught one of them. And then there's even more information. Yeah, uh, Marasta Yale basically gives the whole thing. Oh, yeah, they've been studying us for, for years. I like mm -hmm. that um, asshole McGee, I'll call him Kroller. Krola. Um, Krola. <laughs> I like Krola. asshole McGee. That's, yeah, I'm asshole McGee's fine. <laughs> Immediately goes to they're corrupting our youth, which I was like, oh, yeah. I love that he goes immediately there because it, it just They've feels just feels right. <laughs> they have one playbook. What if they had time to do? They're corrupting our youth. Yeah, I mean, it's very, uh, uh, you know, everything that we were saying about this in the 90s and it's all coming back now. Like, come on, that's that's uh, fascist 101. Yeah. Hell, the 30s, yeah. And it was also anti-rock and roll, anti-Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, we're following Satanic Panic. Right. I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff that are somewhat recent in, you know, cultural memory for that. For Two Live Crew. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, for who was it that went to testify in Congress uh, with Dee uh, Snyder? Dee Snyder. Mm -hmm. That happened pretty recently. Yeah. Like, there's a whole bunch going on. Like, so them pulling that line out is also, you know, in this case, fresh. Because that is a thing going on currently in culture. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's always fresh. Yeah. You go yeah. back to newspapers hundreds of years ago. It's it's you know hoop and stick will destroy these kids. You mm -hmm. know, it's it's <laughs> hula hoops. One playbook. And we got to get rid of the amazing. hula hoops from making them have yeah. you know gyrations yeah. of the hips. Yeah. Yep. And it's it's oh. interesting to see that in a Star Trek's really good at this stuff because it calls into question a lot of times. Uh, issues that I feel like it gives us things with issues such as this that are never that never feel like even though it isn't a fantastical setting they don't it does not feel otherworldly like you, we are made mm. to to understand what this person it's I won't even call it an allegory he's using the same he's using Language. the same dogma or dog whistle mm. stuff like it's it's 
Th th then when he actually, just to sort of move a, a little bit forward, when he goes, he's like, well, he's going to go interrogate Riker, right? The, and then, then uh, this is the moment that was my absolute favorite moment, honestly, of this episode. When the mm. doctor, um, we, who we've been with the entire time, like... The medical facility got yeah, coordinated. Won't yeah. let him wake up Riker because he gonna, he's going to be injured. It will hurt him because he took an oath as his doctors on his planets did. Uh then the the dude Crow is just like great you're fired let's get a replacement in here so we can do this uh, without the red tape and like it's so that that moment rang the most true in like mm -hmm. today like as a kid I didn't I didn't get that but like that's how many power struggles are sadly resolved people yeah. are just like oh you won't do the thing you won't break your ethic rules next yeah. like yeah. and it's. It's a super sad and super poignant moment, it, but it like it was the one that hit hard, like the the most hard for me this time around. And that I liked it too because it showed that the, uh, something that Jimmy always rails against, which is the sameness of people on a planet. Mm -hmm. And this one really did shows that there are yeah. different viewpoints. There's different spectrums. There's people who like BB Newworth's character who <laughs> <laughs> she's got a point of view. Uh, you know, and there's people who uh, uh, are more on Krola's uh, side of things, right? Like, it's so interesting. Uh, and it feels real, right? Because it is real. It's yeah. just like it, how it would be here. The spies and weren't there by the time she was growing up. Who corrupted her during her youth? We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Comic books. Comic books. <laughs> yeah. And of course, right, I'm joking. Right. There's nothing corrupt about what she's doing. She just, I mean, it's, who, who wouldn't when locked in a room with William Riker? Um, <laughs> but I digress. <laughs> who here would do no harm to him? <laughs> This is also a fun one, though, because it also shows why the Federation is interested in them joining. Because, you know, there are several upright people, you know, people who stand up for kind of, yeah, I'll just say the right thing yeah. at the right time on this along the way. And you see that it is a spectrum of people, yeah. which again, just like any planet, that that is one of the most fun things about it, that it is a spectrum of people. Because, yeah, if this had been a planet of oneness, it wouldn't have been interesting. And that's what they talk about in the, the following scene with Durkin and uh, Picard. Durkin's a little bit pissed uh, about uh, you know being kept in the dark on this. And that's where Picard actually gives a really interesting nugget of Star Trek lore that I was not aware of before watching this, which is that Starfleet tried to have first contact with the Klingons and they fucked it up. Mm -hmm. Which led to war with the Klingons for decades, uh, decades of war, right? In which we, we're all very familiar with mm -hmm. uh, that, and so that's why they do that. And it's such a great point, which is like, mm -hmm. you know, we have to sh we have to know what we're getting into before we step in. Yeah. And what a great way to to just widen the story that we all know, like yeah. just an offhand piece of dialogue that moves this particular hour along, but to reveal such an important piece of Star Trek lore that way is is delightful all right well then and then also durkin says like i'm glad that you made a mistake like you yeah. know picard does his best to say i'm sorry and i and I, I screwed up and he's like all right well i i accept that and i accept the fact that you're fallible and that actually makes me happier because he didn't like the power dynamic of having this like uber technologically advanced society uh coming down on him yeah i could do no wrong picard's not a space god like yeah. and, and that's basically where he was at at least in in the malkorian's point of view but now here's a here's a real way more technologically advanced being be like I am so sorry to you because I made a mistake. Yeah. And like that's a huge playing field leveler. And so mm -hmm. that makes a lot of the, what happens next. I feel like that moment in particular when they're talking and he admits to that is like a really good crux of like, you know, it's again, it's another wave in the story arc that is just 
way more intricate than I ever really remembered and that a 44-minute television show would usually have time for. Like, it's just, it's great. I also, the director made a really good choice there on the direction, which is when go, dar, de, government leader God, what's his name again? Durkin. Durkin. Durkin says, you know, I like that you made a mistake. Picard looks at him not understanding it. He, Picard is confused at that point. And then Durkin says, yeah, it's, you know, it makes you more human, you know. More likable. You, yeah, more likable that you can make a mistake as well. But that choice to not have Picard understand it really sets up the next couple minutes after that of you know that full understanding and then picard's like let me tell you about my love life <laughs> i've made a few mistakes in my life. <laughs> never can quite seal the deal with beverly crusher do you have any advice for how to date uh, uh, a worker well we could call <laughs> a co-worker i, I don't, don't but do it as dirk had said we don't have a great it. doctor <laughs> named Linnell who might be able to help you out <laughs> Uh, so back at the medical facility, uh, they get the angry doctor, whose name is Dr. Nilrim, uh, to issue the uh, sleeping, you know, the, the, the salts, uh, smelling salts to wake up Riker, uh, which get him revived. And then we get right back into it. Krola at this point, uh, there's some more back and forth with, with, with Durkin and, and, and uh, Riker and Picard, and they're trying to figure out how to uh, get him out of there. But then we get to this the real kind of, you know, climax of this episode, which is Krola getting the phaser that was just a toy. It was, you know, a very dangerous toy. And he has this whole scheme to kill himself, that mm -hmm. he blame the alien, and then therefore uh, Durkin's hand will be forced and they will have to refuse this first contact. What, yeah, Kate, well, what do you think Well, I'll about? say that this is where I, I maybe understand where Jeffrey's com coming from a little bit, it, because... Mm. This to me was like, oh, he's a an actual believer. Like right. this mm -hmm. is not the work of somebody who just wants to maintain power or just wants to main sh make sure that his position is is at peace or that that is, you know, like he's going to stay where he is. Uh, this is somebody who truly believes in what they're, you know, I, I think it's crazy. And, uh, and what a dick. He sucks. <laughs> sucks. Um, but I was like, oh, interesting. Like this, this raises the stakes in terms of if there are enough people on this planet that believe that he, as he does, this is going to be a long road. Yeah. It's, Krola's it, 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 not a Fox News pundit. He's he's a literal <laughs> believer into the thing. He's just not making money or power off it, right. which is yeah. It's it it and even though Krola is not human, none of them are. They're Malkorian. Like it really does humanize or Malkorianize <laughs> him, even as a as a character. I think to as you said, Kate, as Jeff said too. Like it it makes makes total sense there. Except it doesn't work at all. <laughs> know anything about this. <laughs> But it kind of does also at the same time, right? Because he doesn't get killed. Uh, he didn't realize that the phaser was set on stun. He's just got a, a, a minor thing. Chancellor Durkin does allow uh, the Federation to go in and get Riker out. They also realize what had just happened. So they all go back up to um, sick bay, and Crusher is able to heal Riker as well as uh, Krola on the ship. Or stabilize Riker. Like, we don't actually see Riker for the whole rest of the episode after mm -hmm. that. True. Right, but, but we we get the sense that he just survived. Yeah. By the way, Crusher's line like appears into her first thing is like, "I'm a doctor." <laughs> yeah. in crisis management mode, like beaming into alien place with Worf, 
phase her out. <laughs> like, I noted that too, right? Like, oh, that's not necessarily the best look, uh, Worf. Worf. But, Worf yeah. is going to make sure nothing else happens there. You know, that is Worf's job. I took that. I took that as like, oh, shit has hit the fan. They don't give a. They don't care. They're getting their friend out of there. So like, they're bringing Worf. Beverly's going to do her stuff, but Worf's going to ensure that she can. Yeah. Uh, which was a cool. Like, you know, that's what's so cool about Star Trek, almost all of the shows do this. After we get to know the characters, it's not that they're, they, you know, maybe every character sort of starts as an archetype, but we're able mm. to infer a lot of meaning based on who goes what, when. Like we know situations because we know the characters and we know what they're, what they're used for in these, not even just stories, but like in a mission, if you want this, this, and this, you're gonna bring this person, mm. this person, and this person. And so we can infer even in minor moments like this, Beverly brought Worf, it's yeah. this is bad. Like this needs to happen now, yeah. and that's very very. A couple cool. of random security people, right? No, it's Worf. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. <laughs> and we're paying him to be a star, so he has to be in in this episode at least. Once. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And Durkin goes to Krola in sickbay, and and this is where Krola begs him, like, "Don't do this, please." I'm such a jerk, but believe me. And uh, Durkin's like, yeah, no, there's a lot of jerks like you out there. <laughs> I love the fact that he says, we're going to delay the warp program and we're going to take the money and put it into education. I actually fucking yeah. love that. Yeah. Like there's a, there's a plan, right? Like he is somebody who's not going to just forget that this happened. Uh, but, mm. but I love that the first answer is education. More of that. I love that. Because yeah. you have to, you have to teach people that there's something beyond this world. With that knowledge, with the knowledge that they now have, they can create entire curriculums around like, okay, how do we get the idea out there that it's okay that we're not the center of the universe? Yeah. How do we prep people over the next X years to be ready so that when this happens, it won't break everything down? Yeah. Right. And, and, you know, I don't know what their lifespan is or how their 29 hour day affects that. <laughs> but like the, the, yeah, having that. He has the uh, the chancellor has the long game of like, all right, if we can do this and use that money for education and do that stuff in two to three generations or whatever, like we'll be we'll be there and there'll be much less there'll be way less uh, Krolas out there that are that are just not going to have it. So, uh, yeah, that that I love that moment. as well. Right. And even if they might disagree with it, they wouldn't take the step of shooting themselves to right. murder. Yeah, right, like that's that's extreme. And then, yeah, we got a final scene in the ready room uh, where Durkin basically says, yeah, I can't do it. I can't do it right now. You said before that if I asked you to go away, you would go away, uh, so go away. My people are not ready to accept. They're not ready to accept, yeah. How they keep it secret? Oh, the same way we always do. We'll just uh, say it was a weather balloon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's gonna be a few fox molders out there, but it, uh, you know. It's a cloud of... Swamp gas. <laughs> Swamp gas, exactly. And move on to their more interesting daily broadcasts. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, which is uh, an, an allusion to TV, right? Right. Yep. It is, it's like, oh, yeah, they're just going to go back and, and be entertained. <laughs> the Bachelor is on. The Melbourne <laughs> Bachelor. Oh, for sure. The finale is in two weeks. We have to just, it'll be gone by then. <laughs> the most popular Bachelor show on their planet, though, is Would You Fuck an Alien? <laughs> <laughs> But the answer is always yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but then uh, Marasta Yale is just like, "Hey, I don't, I don't think I'm going to be able to keep this in. Like, I don't know if I go can back I, to the farm. Can, 
Yeah, and uh, Durkin agrees. He's like, mm -hmm. I don't think she w would uh, be okay with the restrictions I'm going to put on her mm -hmm. to keep this secret. She's a terrible right. secret keeper. <laughs> <laughs> the line there, too, where Picard's like, I don't think you, you know, you're ready for the, what was it, intricate or the intricacies of space travel or the something of space travel. And she looks at him and says, I've been, oh, the realities. She says, I've been prepared for the realities of space travel since I was nine years old sitting in a planetarium. Yeah, I like that callback. And I think so many people who watch Star Trek probably had that kind of nodding yes moment that it, like, that was such a great rap line. Yeah. Totally. That kind of thing. Agreed. Agreed. And, and it's such a great uh, callback to her, to her uh, speech in 10 forward of like that. No, I can't. I've been thinking about this forever. And the, the, I put it hurt myself in her position of like knowing all of this and having this experience. Can you imagine going back and having your entire life? Cause you're in her life's work was this warp program, right? Like, and then she has to shudder that. And yeah, I, I, I think I would have asked for, for a very similar thing. It's hard to go back to, 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 I, I feel like weirdly enough, travel does this too. Like just on mm. in real life, like you or getting to know people that are not uh, similar to yourself. It's very hard to just be like after you've done a big long thing or gone somewhere just to go back to your regular to, to not be changed at all and go back to your like regularly you know whatever you're doing in your life so again that rang true again this obviously this series has so many humanizing moments but like this episode is why i was so psyched to talk about this particular one um, just too. just like yeah. minute by minute probably has at least the most like poignant points packed in you know in in such a small amount of time mm -hmm. uh yeah it's just it's cool as hell i love this episode so much it's absolutely great. when matt and i were talking to you about coming on and you said what episode would you like matt and i both you're like we're in season four and matt and i both looked at the list it was like that, that one, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Don't even even throw a dart. Be like, no, nope, yep. that's the one because yeah. it's it's uh, it's that important. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, the Picard says yes, uh, and then Worf assigns a room to Marast Yale, and then we'll just assume she's been on she's on the Enterprise for the rest of the series. We just never see her <laughs> until one of the splits of the saucer section and something goes bad, and then it's uh, who knows. Uh, <laughs> but I love that. I we we've talked about this before on the show, like how they used to do these like fun little ending lines, and like oh that was the moral of the story, and there's none of that here again. And I just it's it makes it so much more poignant because you're left with that last line of hers about the planetarium and thinking about like okay now she's on to a new adventure now, and what is that going to mean for her? And the greatest thing I think about the end of this episode is literally. Maybe, except for our main cast, every other character is happy. Mm. Starfleet and our crew failed. Yeah. Everyone else on every side of this argument is happy other than them. And that is such a cool way to end your story and to have it be fine. Like, it's... Oh, Picard, what's the line Picard says? Like, it, something about losing? What's that famous one is like... uh it's it's ridiculous to believe you can go through life like it without losing without or ever losing. Yes, yeah. I'm butchering it, but whenever that one gets to it, <laughs> but like it it's so true here. Like Starfleet lost, and everyone else is cool, and that's fine. It happens, but yeah, it's cool. 
It is very cool. <laughs> let's, let's, let's wrap up uh, our final thoughts on this. So, Eric, yeah, let's start with you. What are what are your thoughts on this episode? What, what would you give it? I'm gonna give it eight Broadway stars, even though there's only three really big Broadway stars in this. I'm gonna take just one second to talk about George Coe as Durkin, who was, of course, also in the original cast of Saturday Night Live, though he was only credited in the first episode. He was in 13 in that first season as one of the members of the Not Ready for Primetime Players. No shit. Wow. That was right after he played uh, uh, Woolsey in Mame opposite Angela Lansbury before he got to play Strange Old Man in Into the Woods as well as David in the original Broadway Company. Oh, wow. If you go to George Hearn, who we were talking about earlier, of course, he's also got his Angela Lansbury moment in uh, Sweeney Todd, the original production, and that movie that we've all seen from Showtime in the early 80s. And he, of course, won his Tony as Alban in La Cage aux Faux, uh, one of the great all-time performances and one of the great all-time productions. So, uh, eight Broadway stars for this wonderful produ- uh, this wonderful <laughs> episode, and it was fantastic to make some new friends, too. <laughs> Yay! Kate, what did you think? I'm going to give this one nine planet ariums because uh, it just has, uh, I love everything about that it's, it's a respite in the middle of what we've already already been going through. And by that, uh, I don't mean like, oh God, we've been going through it and it's a slog to go through these seasons. It's not, but it's just such a breath of fresh air to have an episode that is completely sort of counterintuitive to the rhythm and the sort of uh, storytelling process that we're used to, um, to come in in the middle and to focus so much more on the aliens and their point of view. It's just a really nice little refresher um, here in the middle of this season. And B.B. Newworth is fantastic in it. And I just love that little bit, uh, that scene, and I could watch it for forever. In general, I just think what we've talked about, like it, it holds up. It really holds up in terms of the the questions that it's asking and the sides that it is exploring. Um, so I'm a fan. Yeah, y'all. Uh, I'm going to give quick my bit and then I'll throw it to you two to talk not only about this episode, but uh, the amazing work that you guys are doing on Extra Credits. But I loved this episode. I am going to give it nine and a half digits uh, (laughs) they don't have that many digits uh, but Riker does and they're super hot (laughs) when they're on me Um, it it has everything it's got a comedic scene it's got these really great philosophical explorations it's got great acting uh, that feels natural the writing I'm glad you know it's not often that you hear an episode that went through development hell like this and ends up with an extremely Mm -hmm. strong script for it um and that is all apparent here and it all comes together with this you know outside of the format format uh that feels different and weird for star trek but also feels really familiar for humans watching tv in the 80s and 90s and even now right like it it pulls on all of uh our expectations and changes them up a little bit we think it's going to be a happy first contact story and and as as you said matt it doesn't it's only the point of view of these characters they get what they want but the spirit crew super fucked up on this one um (laughs) But anyway, it's great. I love it. Riker got what he wanted. Matt and Jack. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's right. It's what he's always wanted. Did he? Did he? Yeah. I, so. I, lo- I love actually also, just a real quick aside in the uh, in the companion, they're like, did he or didn't he? And we're all like, yeah, there's no come question. On. Yeah, what? Yeah. 
a, what a lovely PG take the book had. But that's yeah, not, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That was the TV guide uh, of the time. Was like, mm, will he or won't we? I'm like, no, but he did. Yeah. And he has several times in every other episode. I had uh, one more Harper. Durkin credit I forgot to mention. He was Woodhouse in Archer was his last. Oh, really? Oh, he's in, he's in Archer? So he's oh, been right. around forever oh, and doing wow. all kinds of wonderful shit. Wow. Wow. That is a lot of history. So cool. Um, But speaking of history, I loved uh, being able to talk about this with uh, with both you, Jeffrey, and Matt. So, yeah, Jeff, why don't you go first? What did you think about this episode? And then give us all your spiel of of, of where to follow you and and what you're doing. Well, from an extra credit perspective, I'd give it an A plus because I think it checked all the boxes, got all the things. And just it is it is an episode that like if you were going to hand people five or ten episodes of next gen and say, go watch this to capture the vibe of what they're talking about, even though it isn't a bridge crew centric episode, I still think that this captures part of just the essence of what next generation is about at the time with that, Mm. with the exploration and the, you know, and the first contract and just all of it out there. So for me, this is just, it's a standout episode. It, you know, it came together, like not knowing any of the production background, it came together. Well, the cast was amazing, both the guests and the regular cast. You get to watch Patrick Stewart doing some of his best, you know, pontificating, <laughs> but doing it in a way, you know, with kind of an equal on the government, mm. you know, you know, on his uh, the other side, talking about it back and forth. And, you know, all of the big, big scenes with them are resolved with dialogue, mm-hmm. which I think is also really part of what Star Trek is about. So for me, it just it's quintessential next gen amazingness and i love it so much yeah no uh i will give this episode of star trek the next generation uh three out of three malcors (laughs) because there is only three of them uh so you know uh it's (laughs) it's uh it was just wonderful i love this episode so much i I think i are sorry i won't even yammer on anymore about it i just i really really love it for all of the reasons that i said i think it's really really great uh, and uh, uh, Greg, Eric, Kate, thank you so much for having us on thank to you. be able to talk about it. it. It's funny, and I'll let Jeff sort of talk, you know, we'll back and forth this. Obviously, we're part of the YouTube channel uh, Extra History and Extra Credits. We actually did a uh, channel split. So all of our history and mythology stuff is on one side and all of our gaming stuff is on another now. Um, but uh, it's lovely to talk about Star Trek and especially things that we can sort of see like the history, like we just talked about this episode and this culture and how it had a whole bunch of different viewpoints. That's something that we feel very strongly about on our channel. That's one of the reasons why we're so passionate about history. Like mm. we just did a series, uh, we're, we're in the middle of it right now on John Brown. And that was a story that I'd never learned in school and 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 uh, I feel like is left out in a lot of the, the again, education, and it depends on who's doing the educating. The chancellor here, I feel, will do a better job than many people did even when I was growing up or now. So or as far as from, from a bureaucratic perspective. So uh, I don't know. I love that this uh, that you guys sort of have this retrospective on this show and it plays right into to that whole thing that we really, really love. Also, you can follow me on uh, Twitter if you want on my own stuff that's Emperor MSK if you want to give me crap for not remembering the quote of it is possible <laughs> to commit no mistakes and still lose that is not a weakness that is life uh, I I live by that Picard quote and uh, yes. yeah uh, it's absolutely wonderful Jeff what else about about our stuff as Matt said you know we have shows on a show called Extra History Extra Mythology one called So You Haven't Read which is a lit primer and extra credits and the big thing about our channel is you know we do animated 9 to 11 minute shows 
And for history and mythology, like we approach it from a storytelling perspective. Yeah. Like if you're going to come watch history, we're going to tell it to you like it's a story to really try and make it interesting and get you excited about learning or just excited about knowing what happened in the past, the good and the bad. And that's, we have a great, we have a great crew that puts it together because animation and writing takes a team. Yeah. And so it's, it's a lot of really talented people from all over putting it together. But yeah, you can check us out at Extra History or Extra Credits on YouTube. As Matt said, we're in the middle of John Brown. We just finished up Frederick the Great. Mm -hmm. Learned mm -hmm. about um, his monstrous father and turning him into what he kind of became. And Matt, what's our next one? And then actually, I don't know when this is exactly dropping, but our next mythology is on the tale of Baba Yaga and uh -huh. what that sort of means in a functional way around uh, some some mythology from that part of the world. So uh, there's a decent amount of stuff over there. If you like any of that, you want to hear uh, funny storytelling with my cat randomly meowing in the background <laughs> while you learn something, that'll, that's the place to do it. You're in good hand, a good company uh, with uh, Kate's cat uh, getting on the frame quite a bit. I love that. Shout out to uh, Robert Rath, who I think is in your writing crew oh, yeah. as well. Yes, love oh, because you guys know each other. I always love him. That. Oh, always you know done. Rob? Yeah, yeah. We worked together. I think back in back in the day. Oh, that's uh, right. That yeah. okay. It's all coming together. It's all connecting. Rob is yeah. the absolute best. Rob is a beast and one of, if not the most talented writer I know. He is. He is. Yeah. He's our lead writer for extra history. He is a, a phenom. That, that man is amazing. Yeah. Dude's a beast. Excellent. <laughs> He's done so much. He's so great. I love him. I love him. All right. Well, thank you uh, again for being on the show. Thank you for making it happen. And my pants are so wet right now. So I think that's time to end. <laughs> so disconcerting. Thank you so much for riding along with us on this episode of Reengage. Next week, we continue our mission with the next episode of the fourth season of Star Trek The Next Generation. Follow Reengage on Twitter at ReengageTNG to get updates when episodes are published and some other stuff. You can also follow our various cultural bridge crew on social media. Kate Yeager is at Yeagerlicious. Eric Gratton is at Eric Falls Down. Greg Tito is at Greg Tito on Twitter and at Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. Jimmy G is at the Jimmy G on Instagram. Reengage is edited by Greg Tito. Logo artwork by Mojo Jojo97 on Twitter. Theme music is by Ryan Marth. Thank you so much for listening. Stand by now for the traveler to reengage. <laughs>